Xbox On. Welcome to Xbox On, a podcast with one host about one console, Xbox. I'm said host, Jesse DeRosa, and on today's episode, we'll be talking about the latest Xbox news for the week of July 7th, 2022, including a veteran returns to the Halo franchise, Ubisoft has some events on the way, Rockstar scraps more remakes to double down on GTA 6, and more. on this day in Xbox history, Spider-Man 2 was released on the original Xbox in Germany in the year 2004. God, that was such a good game. Alright guys, welcome to episode 162 of the Xbox On Podcast. Alright, I just want to make an announcement at the top of the show. This is not for sympathy or pity, but rather just to get in front of the bullet. If the episode sounds a little weird or if I sound a little out of it, a little quieter, a little uh, just more spent than usual. Um, I currently have the COVID-19, and so unfortunately, and already Spotify has probably put a warning on the episode now because I said that, but so yeah, right now I'm just, uh, I'm feeling a little out of it, although, you know, incredibly blessed to be not, <laughs> you know, to have to have gone this long without having it, and then also to be, you know, in a situation where I'm vaccinated and uh, my symptoms are little to none for the most part, just, just a little tired and a little fatigued, so all is well. Just want to make that announcement. So when you're like, Jesse, I'm very disappointed that this week you had a stunning lack of enthusiasm regarding Taco Bell's new, whatever those fucking things are, those chicken tender tacos they put back on the menu. I'll say, listen, man, it's not that I don't care. I just literally don't have the energy to give a fuck. But I, I care deep down in my heart. We'll talk about it next week. I'll probably eat them once I'm able to get back out into the world. It's a lot of fast food to catch up on. Okay, so guys, we got to talk all about Xbox because... We've had a couple of uh, slow news weeks following all the big Bethesda and Xbox Game Showcase, Summer Games Fest, E3-type news. As is usually the case, things slow down quite a bit after those after that time of the summer. But now we're in that weird period of time where it's like we're getting a lot of news again, but nothing quite substantial. So we have a lot of news to get to. Uh, unfortunately, none of it is like, whoa, Xbox just bought Crest Toothpaste. You know, like we don't, we're not we're not there yet. Give it to the fall, and then we'll probably have another banger announcement like that to go through. But in the meantime, guys, I thought we'd start this week's podcast. Isn't that such a novel idea? We're gonna we're gonna this week in particular. We're gonna start out with a segment that we don't normally start with. It's the mild amusement stories, updates, corrections from last week. Guys, we gotta talk about Activision because they're in the news again this week. But thankfully, this isn't about Activision and their plan to harass all the women that have ever worked for them. This is about the Xbox Activision acquisition, whatever, the Microsoft acquisition, rather. All right, so from VGC, and you know how these go, we're just going to read the update and move on because I have nothing to add to this. I'm I'm too tiny brain to really add any substantive conversation to this whole process of, of how the acquisition goes. So Microsoft's planned acquisition of Activision Blizzard is being investigated by the UK's competition regulator. The Competition and Market Authority, the CMA, which works to promote competition for the benefit of consumers, announced this week that it has opened an investigation into the $68.7 billion deal, the game's industry's biggest ever by by some distance, to determine whether it's a fair one. 
In a statement provided by CNBC, the CMA said in its investigation, or said its investigation would consider whether or not the deal could harm competition and lead to worse outcomes for consumers. For example, through higher prices, lower quality, or reduced choice. The regulator is running a consultation until July 20th, during which time it wants to receive feedback from any third parties with an interest in the proposed deal. A deadline of September 1st has been set for the CMS to give its initial decision on the matter. And so we will, uh, I'm sure, hear more about that soon. We know over here in the States, we got the FTC doing a similar regulatory investigation. So plenty of news, I'm sure, in the coming months on that. In fact, I'm fairly certain in the coming, you know, the next two months or so, we'll, we'll basically know whether or not everything's going through. But as it stands right now, it looks like it looks like everything is going through uh, pretty fine. Microsoft is a pretty buttoned up company when it comes to these kinds of deals. So I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if they had all their ducks in a row and knew basically how to make this go through without any hitches, really. So that will... Uh, Happened inevitably, but guys, this week, I want to just put a shout out there. Cuphead, the delicious last course, is finally available now. It came out this week. This is, of course, the DLC expansion for Cuphead, the 2018 smash hit, one-time console exclusive or timed console exclusive for Xbox that took the world by storm and has continued to be a roaring success. Um, so yeah, that DLC expansion is finally out. And as always, you know, I, I, I don't personally enjoy Cuphead. I, I admire the hell out of the art. It is incredibly impressive and charming, and I, I love the characters. I love the world, but that game makes me want to hurt myself. It is just too difficult, and I lack the patience and the ter- determination to get through it. Um, however, I always have to, I always have to make, make the observation when we talk about uh, the Delicious Last Course because it took me until, like, three years of them fucking announcing and promoting this expansion for me to realize... The delicious last course is is uh, is shorthand. The shorthand for it is DLC, which is very clever, very cute, very clever. So that's out now. I'm sure many of you guys are excited about that. I know a lot of Xbox really love their, themselves some Cuphead, and in fact, people in general seem to really love Cuphead. So good for gamers there. Now let's talk some Halo Infinite. We got some exciting news, a little update here. We knew most of this, but here's just a little more information clarification, uh, as relayed by Windows Central. Uh, 343 Industries have shared more details regarding how online campaign co-op in Halo Infinite will work. Players will go through Halo Infinite's campaign in co-op together and will retain any progress made, regardless of who's hosting. Mission Replay is also entering testing at the same time as campaign co-op, which is the thing I'm looking forward to so I can go back and get me some achievements. And then Halo Infinite Network co-op campaign and Mission Replay flighting are now slated to begin the week of July 15th. So just a week from now. Look forward to it, guys. Halo Infinite its finally getting some of that, some of those features that really should have been there on day one. <laughs> Although, it, just to just to be fair, you know, six months ago or whatever, when this game came out, I was the one like, oh, come on, guys. That stuff will come down the road. At least we're getting the game in December. You know, fast forward to today, and I'm like, well, they didn't even get co-op campaign, so give them some uh, slack where, where it do, I suppose. But that's finally on the way. I know a lot of people are excited to play some co-op Halo, and we'll have more Halo to talk about in the main news, so... We'll leave it at that for now. Next up, guys, we got a couple quick, or I think two more quick ones before we uh, get into proper news. But VGC has reported, or relays rather, that EA this week showed some new footage, which they're calling pre-pre-pre-alpha, of the next entry in the Skate franchise. The footage shows, the the little trailer they showed, uh, a wireframe version of the new open world that the next Skate game will take place in. Later, the video... um, 
shows a more finalized version of the game with more graphics, more details, more textures loaded into the world. Uh, and the disclaimer reading that those sections are, again, pre-pre-alpha <laughs> uh, instead of pre-pre-pre-alpha. Players can now sign up to playtest the game, although... Um, there's no word as to when that will really be available for, to those playtesters. The new trailer also shows off the new traversal ele- elements that were previous that weren't in previous games, such as jumping between ledges. The trailer also, oh, which by the way, Tony Hawk had that. So give us back some Tony Hawk, Activision. You hear me? Uh, all, the trailer also implies that a number of players will be able to take, will be able to skate together, and in a largely increased capacity. They showed like a little snippet of like a, like it looked like 25 people fucking skating together. Looked like absolute chaos, but I'm sure it's fun. And just as a refresher, in April it was claimed that Skate 4 will include online free skate mode, which lets users hang out and build skate parks together. That was uh, leaked by Jeff Grubb. The next skate game, which is known to fans as Skate 4 but has not officially been titled, was announced in 2020 following years of fans' outcry, demand, electronic arts just saying no one wants single-player games anymore. We're shutting down. All the good, we're, we're shutting down all the good video game developers, and then we're gonna have Dice, and they're gonna tell you that Nintendo Wii U sucks, and then they're gonna make a bad Battlefield, and then everyone's gonna give them slack, and then everyone's gonna give them shit, and then we're gonna give them slack again, and then everyone's gonna buy the next game anyway, and that's that's EA, and they also make Madden, so that's good. You can play football. And lastly, guys, I want to say, well, I, or I guess I should say, to skate, I, I did want to make. A little note. I think it's um for EA because we talk a lot about, or I talk a lot about their uh, huge misstep and mishandling of Bioware right now, especially with them constantly being like Dragon Age Four and a new Mass Effect game. They're on the way. They're on the way. They're on the way, and we'll even get into Mass Effect later in the show. Um, but then it's just like this mistake of like, I know you want to get fans excited and you want to give people hope that Bioware is getting on the right track again, but I don't think. 45 years of teasing another Mass Effect or another Dragon Age is going to is going to get people excited or, or give them confidence in the studio when all this time has lapsed and you can't even show a trailer or give them a tentative release date or anything like this is I think this does more damage than it does uh, good but then again what do I know um, however with Skate while it's in a similar situation where they definitely prematurely announced this game, it was one of those like, hey, here's a guy working at a computer and here's the skate logo. It's like, we're working on a new skate game. While I think obviously that is a similar mistake, the nice thing about skate is they're able to do this kind of Dead Space remake thing where they're just like, here's a really rough cut of like a game that is in development that you will never, ever, ever get to play in this state, but this is what it looks like right now. We're, we promise you we're working on it. We promise you it's a real game and it is coming. And I think with a game like Skate, you can get away with it or a game like Dead Space, you can get away with it because Skate is obviously very social based, is very mechanics driven, uh, fun game. Um, so there is no, there's no like need for a game like Skate to be exclusively shown in a highly presentable way. Which I think is an issue that like Dragon Age and the new Mass Effect fall into is they are such story driven, cinematic, um, experiential kind of games that you you couldn't do a similar thing with Dragon Age Four. You, you got to assume there's some build out there somewhere, hopefully, of Dragon Age Four that looks similar to this Skate demo we saw, where it's like, yeah, it's in rough shape, but you can tell they're developing it. But you wouldn't want to show that for a game like Dragon Age because it's like, wow, that looks like shit, you know? No one wants to see their next single-player, open-world, action, story-driven adventure game be 
just this absolute piece of you know drawing board ass you know so I, I almost wonder if maybe they should do that just to prove to people that these games are real but at the same time i don't i don't think they have that luxury of being able to show those games in that capacity when you finally show dragon age when you finally show mass effect i think you got to do it right you got to be like here's a proper reveal of the actual product the thing you will be playing and you know it works for again it works for mass effect remake because or um dead space remake because it is a recreation of a game everyone's already experienced. So you can be like, hey, here's what it looks like recreating this experience you're already familiar with from the ground up. Or with Skate, it works because, you know, here's a game that you goof around with your friends on. And it's very much about the mechanics and the physics and not so much about the, you know, the immersive experience and storytelling and world building, you know. So I don't know. I just want to make that note because EA has this same issue with a lot of their games, but this solution which we've seen them apply now to two games maybe they need to employ it employ a little more because so many of their games are in this like vaporware stance right or stasis right now i think it definitely helps for games like skate and dead space remake but i don't i don't know man mass effect and dragon age what even are those games at this point i guess um and then lastly before we get into the news guys i did want to make note of this we got some more upheaval Regarding loot boxes, VGC reports that Netherlands, the Netherlands could be the next country to ban loot boxes in video games as multiple political parties unite behind a bill that would see the country outlaw randomized in-game purchases. The motion first posted by Reset Era by user Poklane or Poklane would still have to move through the country's Senate. However, due to such bipartisan support of the bill, it seems incredibly unlikely to fail, meaning that the Netherlands will join Belgium in the ban of loot boxes. The motion claims that, quote, in video games, children are manipulated into making microtransactions uh, and loot boxes that are also in the form of gambling, and quote. It goes on to claim that the results of these payments, or that in the results of these payments, they can get addicting and can burn in families with unexpected bills for these transactions. It was recently confirmed that Diablo Immortal won't even be released in the Netherlands um, or in Belgium due to its use of loot boxes. So uh, Belgium actually had this shit basically enacted a few years ago, and now it looks like the Netherlands are are, are following suit. The Netherlands are following suit and that it will be a similar story. However, we see in Europe more than anything, it seems like we see more and more intention to act on this. Actually, I thought, wasn't there like a state motion and or, or, or an attempt on a state level in Hawaii a few years, like a year or two ago for a similar thing? I, 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 I forget now. I'd have to look it up. But um, yeah, it seems like generally in the UK, we're seeing more more government involvement on this than anything. We saw um, UK had a whole thing on it a few years ago as well where a lot of these governments are starting to challenge the the intentions and the efficacy of loot boxes and microtransactions in gaming. And I don't necessarily have a problem with this because I, from, from a fundamental standpoint, I wish these kinds of things didn't have to be in games because I think a lot of games end up being designed from a gameplay standpoint around microtransactions and it makes games lesser products. But that's that's my specific um, standpoint. I know we've talked about this in the past, but generally, maybe this is a little bit of an unpopular opinion. When it comes to just the sheer existence of loot boxes, they don't really bother me just just for the fact that they exist. Because I don't know, like I have enough willpower on a personal level to be like, okay, here's a loot box, or here's a a twenty dollars skin in Halo or Fortnite or whatever. I don't wish to buy this, um, therefore I will not buy it. I understand loot boxes in particular are a little more predatory because they they try to lure you in with the possibility of getting something rather than the definitive, if you spend X amount of dollars, you will get 
this specific item. But I don't know. I feel like this kind of falls on the buyer to be like, listen, if you don't want it, don't buy it. And if everyone exercised that that preference, publishers would stop forcing developers to put loot boxes in their games because they'd be like, well, this doesn't fucking work. You know, if, if, if so, I, I don't know. This is this is one of those things where it's like, I, I get it. Some people have addictive personalities and so for some people, it's not easy for them to simply avoid. You know, for someone like me, that might be the case, but that's not the case for everyone. So I understand you gotta be sensitive to that, but I don't. I don't know. I find. I. I just personally feel like loot boxes and in the outcry to ban them and stop them um, for their for their uh, gambling association is like generally much to do about nothing. However, I don't. I don't resent these governments for trying to take a stance because if we could live in a world where we just didn't have to have loot boxes. I do think that would make games ultimately better products. Like you, you see, I mean, I know, thankfully, Halo Infinite doesn't have loot boxes, but it has really, really shitty microtransactions. And you look at what's going on right now with Season 2, where, you know, the Season 2 Battle Pass, its main armor core set is absolute dog shit, and it looks disgusting, objectively speaking. And if you want to buy cool stuff or customize your Spartan to not look like ass, you can spend $20 on a skin from the store. And it's like, wow, I'm so glad that we have a million different $20 skins to buy in the store, but we only have like four maps for the entire fucking game. And so if we could find a way, you know, to, to get consumers, to train consumers to be like, listen, I don't want to support this. I'm not spending $20 on a skin or I'm not buying a loot box. Maybe it would send a message to developers and publishers that people don't want this shit. And maybe if users were a little more okay with say, paying $70 for a video game instead of $60 or whatever, then maybe publishers could find a different way to make up that cost. Although I do acknowledge, and Kronky has given me criticism on this in the past, I do acknowledge that a corporation's fiduciary obligation is just to make as much fucking money as humanly possible. So if they can have it their way, they would raise the price of video games and include microtransactions because why would you leave money on the table? So I do understand that response, but I don't know. I I think a little too idealistic about the relationship of like consumers and corporations because I guess at the end of the day everyone is in a very different disposition and every corporation is literally trying to fuck over everyone so whatever (laughs) all right so that's it for all of our stories of mild amusement updates of that of that type guys before we get into the news let's talk about the games I've been playing this week but before I can tell you about that let me tell you this week about what I've been eating and boy oh boy do I have something really special that I just can't wait to share with you guys. Now, let's uh, rewind the clock. I already said COVID-19 at the top of the show, so fuck it. We can just say it at this point. Spotify's already going to flag me. Let's rewind back to the year 2019, a simpler time where COVID-19 wasn't on the tip of everyone's tongues and the country was, or, or the world was significantly divided, but a little less divided than it currently is. And maybe... Maybe we were all just a little bit happier back in those days because if you went over to Disney's Boardwalk Resort at the Walt Disney World Resort in Orlando, Florida, you could stroll on into the Boardwalk Bakery and get yourself a brownie cheesecake. This was a thing that could happen. In fact, it happened to me on multiple occasions, and I know it happened to many, many others who were on vacation at the Walt Disney World. And let's just say the brownie cheesecake was essentially the thing that kept our society together. What is the brownie cheesecake? Well, if you can picture this, it's a very creative concept. It is a dense, moist, thick-ass layer of brownie with an evenly thick but light, airy, delicious cheesecake on top. So you have this 50-50 ratio of cheesecake and brownie, but the cheesecake is light and airy, and the brownie is dense and moist and delicious, 
and you put a, a couple of those little like chocolate pearls that give it some crunch on there. And it was this beautiful, elegant little dessert, this little thing you pick up at the end of your day and you'd, you'd bite into it and the, and the, just the combination of flavors in your mouth and the moisture from the brownie and the light airiness and the creaminess from the cheesecake would just give you that sensation, that feeling that everything was going to be okay in the world and surely there would be no such pandemic that could ever come and take this away from us. But unfortunately, as they say, 2019 can't last forever and 2020 did rear its head. And with it came the shutdown of the theme parks, and much of our lives got thrown into disarray. And, and with that, Disney World closed all of its resorts and theme parks. And when it reopened, the Boardwalk Bakery did not return the brownie cheesecake. You could walk in there, and sure, you could buy a croissant, you could buy a bagel, you get a cup of coffee, you get an Italian sandwich, whatever the fuck you want, right? But you could not get that brownie cheesecake. It was no longer there, and a lot of... And a lot of sociologists link the the absence of the cheesecake brownie from the Boardwalk Bakery menu to the increase in depression and and just um, division among you know people all over the world and a lot of the hatred and the division that you see on social media and just all that negativity. So, well, in celebration of this past July Fourth, the Boardwalk Bakery decided to do something v cute. As the Fortnite gamers would say, they brought back the cheesecake brownie for one weekend only. They said, guys, let's put down our guns. Let's put down our, our bats, our weapons, our nunchucks, our Wii remotes, our fists. And let's come together and eat another brownie cheesecake for good old, you know, for, for like, like we did in the good old days for, for old time's sake. But they didn't just bring back the cheesecake brownie. No, they had to do it one better because now the brownie component of the, brownie, uh, the cheesecake brownie is red velvet brownie. That's right. And I went out of my way on Saturday. I just dropped everything. I ran over to the Boardwalk Resort, went to the Boardwalk Bakery, got in line. I ordered two of these motherfuckers, one to eat on the spot and one to take home and save for later. And, you know, it's like one of those things where it's like, is it going to be as good as it was? Is, is my memory misservicing me? Has nostalgia got the better of me? Am I going to bite into this and be like, yeah, it's good, but it's just, you know, it's just a cheesecake. No, I, I bit into this thing and immediately I was transported back to a time before COVID, a time before Xbox Series X, a time where we all thought Halo Infinite might be a proper sequel to Halo 5. And I, and I just melted into the past and into a former, younger, more innocent version of myself. And that, and that red velvet twist, oh my God. Guys, the red velvet uh, cheesecake brownie. I'm at a loss for words. I just want to let you know, I'm just, this is a tribute. This is a shout out. This is a... This is just a celebration of all things cheesy and brownie in this world. Unfortunately, it is already gone again because it was only for the 4th of July weekend. So I had two of them. They were delicious. Thankfully, my girlfriend hates cheesecake, so I didn't have to share with anybody. And I probably had diabetes, but it was absolutely 100% worth it. But that's it for what I've been eating, guys. Let's talk about what I've been playing. I bet I got something on here that's going to throw you off a little bit. So yeah, I've been playing Sonic Origins still. Working my way through that. I'm almost done with Sonic CD. I beat Sonic 1, so I'm not really much to say about that, but, you know, it's replaying the old Sonic games. What, what else can you say? Now, check this out, you motherfucker. This past Friday, I had the opportunity to play a game none of you guys are expecting called X Defiant. So you might know X Defiant as the Ubisoft, Tom Clancy-inspired, quote-unquote inspired, Call of Duty first-person shooter-esque whatever clone that was announced last year and met with a ton of negative uh, reaction and then kind of fucked off and disappeared. Apparently every couple months they've been doing like insider demos things. And so Kronky was signed up for these and got in this week. They did one on Friday. And so he sent me the link. He's like, sign up, let's play Crossfire X. I'm like, you know what? Fuck it, let's do it. And so I downloaded it. They, it's really weird. They, it's like every couple of weeks or months or whatever, they'll pick a random Friday 
and it'll be a three hour block. It was from six to 9 p.m. It's like, this is it, play these three hours, and then wait for another month or whatever until you get another opportunity to play. So it's really weird the way they're conducting these these tests, but I did some research. Apparently there have been a handful of these already, and the game's come a long way. And this game's really going above and beyond to try and compete with that competitive Call of Duty space. They've hired a lot of old talent from Call of Duty teams. They've hired a lot of esports players of Call of Duty for like to kind of work on the project and help consult and make this, you know, the most attractive first person shooter for that market. And I got to say, after finally having the chance to play this game, you absolutely can feel that this game is desperately trying to eat Call of Duty's lunch. And I don't mean that in a bad way, actually. The game built on the Snowdrop engine, as pretty much every Ubisoft game is these days, it's it's a lot less cringe when you actually play it versus the way they revealed and showed this game. I actually don't dislike X Defiant. I'll say that. And thankfully, you know, when you when you play the game, they make you sign a little NDA, whatever, basically saying you can't share footage of the game, you can't stream it, you can't put it on YouTube, uh, but you can talk about it, so whatever. And then it mentions in the wording, they're like, of the title, X Defiant, Tom Clancy's X Defiant, working title, possibly name change or whatever. It, they even say, like, the name might be final, the name might not, it could change. Dude, I think if they could change the name of this game, it would do, like, 90% of the heavy lifting with, with how bad it, it comes across in marketing, but... The game itself is quite good. It handles very, very well. It, it feels great. It's snappy. It's a fun first-person shooter. I tried it with predominantly controller, and then I switched to mouse and keyboard. It, it uh, If you enjoy Call of Duty, it feels like Call of Duty, although I will say that the jumping is definitely a little bit nerfed to try and you know work against people who do those obnoxious fucking jump shots, and uh, the time to kill is definitely higher. But for the most part, I thought this game was a pretty competent Call of Duty uh, competitor that I think has a genuine shot of doing well should it release as a free-to-play game and be in launch in a pretty decent state so that it doesn't garner a bunch of immediate negative reactions because the game actually when we played it it was running really really well it looks like it's in a really finalized stage and um and it has a lot of content it's very content complete lots of weapons lots of different factions and classes to choose from and tons of maps and the maps are cool the maps are I actually like the maps quite a bit that was like one of my takeaways from this game was I really enjoyed the map design overall. It feels like, in a way, it feels like a a very modernized version of Black Ops 2 was kind of how I put it. So it, it harkens back to like the heyday of Call of Duty multiplayer and really capitalizes on that and does some things to work around some of Call of Duty's weaknesses with like jump shotting and low time to kill and all these things. So I, I will say now, it sounds like I'm speaking very highly of this game. As much as I appreciate it and didn't dislike it as much as I thought I would, I will say I did not necessarily have a great time playing this game because holy fuck, I, this was like sweatbag central. The game felt a little too competitive. I was just getting mopped up every fucking match we played. You got to think you're probably playing with like mega fans and, and probably developers of the game. So maybe that's the case, you know, when the game properly releases to the general public, maybe that won't be as much the case. But the I, I wasn't able to have too good of a time because I was absolutely getting mopped the entire hour and a half I, 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 I dived into this game. Um, so that for sure is, is it has that same gripe that I have with like every modern first person shooter, which is like they make it just a little bit too sweat. Um, however, I, I think the, the core of what they have there, the fundamentals, um, looks like a really competent first person shooter. And if they play their cards right, you know, I'm not saying this is going to be the next Call of Duty, but I think they can definitely carve out their little corner of the market and have something here, which would be huge for Ubisoft because Ubisoft has been trying desperately to try and have some kind of live service 
thing. They, they, they got a taste of that Rainbow Six Siege money and, and community, and they want more of that. And they just haven't been able to really harness it and really, you know, build it again. So I, I think X Defiant, from what I experienced, has the makings of a pretty good live service competitive multiplayer title. It just, you know, only time will tell. I think you got to fix that name. You got to get it out the door at a good time. Now, it's still penned for a late 2022 release, but you got to wonder, is that a good idea? Because you're coming up against Modern Warfare 2, and Modern Warfare 2 is going to be a goddamn juggernaut. So maybe a good idea to delay it into the spring, but we'll uh, maybe get into that a little more later in the news since we have some Ubisoft stuff to talk about. But yeah, I've been playing X Defined. Um, I also played TMNT Shredder's Revenge. I beat that over the weekend. My girlfriend and I played it on co-op start to finish. I really don't have much to say on this show, on, on this game rather. I, it was a very fun little four to five hour romp. Uh, we played on the easiest mode just because we would get very frustrated if we had to constantly die again and again and again. But I, I don't know. Every now and then a nice little side scrolling brawler is, is, is what you need. It's a nice little weekend palette cleanser and i found this game to be just a a great little example of that a fun co-op experience and um really it's i I don't think it you know breaks new ground it's not like an exceptional game or anything but it's very competently made and i think the art style and the animation this game are incredibly charming to me that was for sure the highlight it also has some really killer music as well um but yeah for sure for sure just as I talked about last week, just all the ridiculous like ways you'll walk into a, a scene and you'll see bad, bad guys just like doing ridiculous shit and then just these wacky little cute animations before they realize you're there and all that. The game is very vibrant, it's very colorful, very well pulled off, amazing pixel art. This game is really, really quite a fun time. I think if you're looking for something casual and fun to play with a buddy or two, this is a must play for Game Pass. And if you are a hardcore side-scrolling beat-em-up fan, I'm sure this is a phenomenal game if you're going to play it a little more serious and a little more, you know, aggro on a higher difficulty level. But easy gamer score, really fun time. I highly recommend TMNT Shredder's Revenge. I just don't have too much specifics to really add to it because to me it was just a uh, a pick-up-and-play, shut-your-brain-off little weekend romp, and then you're done. And then lastly, I'm trying, trying to do a lot of stuff this week, guys. Lastly, I did... I, I just want to mention this. It's not technically a video game, but... I did finally, finally finish watching the Halo TV show. Finally. I've been trying to get through this because I want to cancel my Paramount Plus subscription. I don't want to have this subscription at all. I hate this service. But I, I fell off the Halo show somewhere around episode five, and I just have not been able to get back to it. I, I, I You know, you remember when the show first came out? You might remember I, I said, you know, accepting that this is a different interpretation of the Halo universe, I think what they're building here is fun. It's different. I'm on board for it. Let's let's go. You know, this this is this could be a good show. And then by the middle of the show, I was completely tuned out. I fucking hate all the side plot with the with the girl and her fucking con- her country. I'm almost a country with her planet. Her, you know her people trying to save Madrigal and that one dude that's like an ex Spartan and ran away and all that shit. Like their whole subplot to me is in- impossibly lame. I don't give a shit about any of those characters. Anything that's happening there, it's fucking weird as hell when they have like these like these fucking GMC vehicles that are just kind of rebadged in chrome to make it look sci-fi like it's i I don't know like it it completely lost me master chief like the whole like master chief not being in his armor all the time thing i had no problem with that front under the assumption that we would get to see more master chief in his suit but oh my god he just the guy refuses to get in his goddamn armor throughout the show it's insane it it, dude like you could literally just call it the, the john tv show because there's almost no master chief um Oh, God, dude, it's just, it got rough. 
But I will say, in the show's defense, even though there are many, many plot points I, I personally thought were dumb, there are many, many characters I don't like, and overall I think the show is meh at best. Um, I thought the show had a really strong finale, and in fact, if 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 the show were as strong throughout, as strong as the opening and the finale were, the pilot and the finale, um, I think we would have had a pretty rock solid show on our hands. But man, oh man, it's just I, I get it. You know, first season budget constrained, probably. You know, they they gotta try and sink these characters in this world into into general audiences and, and you hope that for season two they can get more action they can get more cgi they can get more master chief screen time in there but holy fuck man this this show is like it's like episode one and two it's like okay pretty cool especially episode one and then it's like three four five six it just keeps going downhill further and further and further and further and then there, there's like an episode somewhere in the middle there that was pretty good pretty decent like i think it was like five or six and then you get to episode nine, which is the finale, and it's like really strong. It's like, damn it, dude, why couldn't you do? Why couldn't you do more of this? The whole fucking uh, girl that was abducted by the Covenant, and like she's like on their team or whatever. I just, I hate everything about that. I hate, I, I don't like her. It's not that I hate that they're taking liberties with the Halo story. Like I don't mind that at all, because I, I think that's actually the, the way to go. Because that way it doesn't become redundant for fans of the game, and it doesn't pigeonhole the the TV show into trying to be a good show despite having to meet the the plot points of the game that might not translate well to TV. So I have no problem with them taking liberties. I just feel like the liberties they took often ended up not paying off for me personally. So I don't mean to be totally down on it. Again, like I said, there are some moments of the show I do genuinely like. There are some things I genuinely like. Jen Taylor really comes into her own as Cortana. Um, or rather, I mean, obviously she's Cortana throughout the whole thing and it feels like Cortana, but by the end of the show, it just, it, it feels nice, you know, as a long time Halo fan to have Jen Taylor voicing Cortana because it, it gives me like something, you know, something to hold on to and to hang my hat on, I guess, um, if that makes sense. But overall, man, I'm so grateful to have this show behind me. So grateful to have canceled my subscription to Paramount Plus and we will be back in a year when season two comes out. Here's hoping that they, uh, they they can turn around and make it much, much better than what season one was. But finally, I did the Halo TV show. Guys, we're done with that. We can all rest easy. We can go back to watching Miss Marvel on Disney Plus because that's the, th the show I'm watching right now. And with that said, we're done with everything at the top of the show. We can get into the news. So let's uh, let's let's do that. Let's make that transition. Okay, news time, baby. We got one, two, five, something like that. Stories to get through. Guys, let's, let's circle back to Halo. Apparently... A lot of our stories of mild amusement at the top kind of touched on some things we're going to get back into during the main news. So let's get back into Halo. VGC reports this week that Halo veteran Paul Burton, Bertoni, Bertoni or Burton, Bertoni, I'm going to say Bertoni because that makes him more Italian, has joined 343 Industries as the studio's technical design director. He worked on Halos 1 through 3, ODST, and Reach during the during over a decade at series creator Bungie, where he served as design director until 2012. Bertoni started his new job at Ju uh, in June at 343, according to his LinkedIn profile. Commenting on his on the appointment of his new position, Joseph Staten, head of creative for Halo Infinite, said that he was thrilled to have Paul help lead the future of the latest series entry. After leaving Bungie, Bertoni worked for three years as a design lead at Industri Industrial Toy, uh, the mobile game studio led by Bungie co-founder Alex Ser Seropian, which is now owned by Electronic Arts. 
He later had six month, a six-month spell at design, as a design lead at the State of Decay studio Undead Labs, and more recently he spent over two years in the same role at Highwire Games, the studio behind the PlayStation VR title Gollum, and the upcoming Six Days in Fallujah, which is, we're, waiting, we're still waiting on word what's happening with that game. It's supposed to be out this fall, and we haven't heard about it in a long time. Come on now, let's get to it, boy. This is a similar thing to, uh, I gotta be careful with this. This this seems like a similar thing to like when Joseph Stane joined back at three four, or joined three four three and everyone was like yeah the Bungie guys back at Halo Halo's good again where it's like just because this guy worked on Halo back in the olden times does not immediately mean Halo is gonna you know bring you back to middle school and make you a kid again and make three days grace play on the radio again it's not gonna do any of that shit for you okay it just means that they got a new guy filling this role and hopefully. He has a lot of expertise that he bring, he can bring to the table, but it's not a given that you're going to feel the difference of Halo Infinite in the coming months thanks to his involvement. I just, I don't know, I like to just preface with that because immediately when this kind of news breaks, it's just, um, you, you know, you go on Twitter and everyone's like, finally, they can fix Halo. It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. One thing at a time. This is a promising addition to the team. This is a promising story. This is exciting, but like, let's not, you know. We still gotta get a fucking fourth map in the multiplayer rotation, okay? So, yeah, this is, um, I, I don't want to sit here and lie to you and be like, oh yeah, I know this guy back, you know, I know this guy well, I follow all the dev diaries and shit back in the Bungie days, because when I was younger, I, for as much as I loved Halo, I didn't follow Bungie super closely in that regard. I didn't, like, read the Bungie, uh, Bungie.net every day, like, all the posts, I didn't watch all the dev diaries and things like that. Sure, I anticipated every Halo game and played every Halo game to shit and back, but it really wasn't until I was a little older, until around the time 343 took over over Halo that I really started paying more attention to the development side of Halo. So I'm, I'm not going to sit here and claim to know too much about who this guy was, but just simply off the, the fact of what his title was before and what his title is now, clearly he does have an impact on a very, very critical part of the game's design. But what I find kind of interesting about this is, you know, technical design director. I, I personally feel like the good thing about Halo Infinite, the, the part that's already really, really rock solid, is the game's technical design. Uh, unless I'm just completely missing what technical design means, like th the way the sandbox operates, you know, the, the way the game feels, the way that levels and in, in, in environments are staged so that players can interact with them and your abilities and all that stuff like that. That kind of stuff is, is the meat and potatoes of Halo Infinite when you think about it, you know, being able to fucking grapple hook your way around the world and, and just how fucking good most of the guns in the game feel. Like, that's the stuff that makes you love Halo Infinite and, and say, even though right now the game's not at its peak, there's so much potential for this game and I can only see it getting better from here is because that fundamental work is so strong to begin with. So, listen, I'm, I'm glad we have someone who is already proven, who is of original Halo um, ilk that is now stepping into this role. That is that is exciting. But like when I think about what Halo Infinite des desperately needs to turn the game around, it's, you know, it's Forge. It's more maps. It's, God, it's more maps. It's more maps. It's more maps. Um, but, you know, you never know. Maybe his role does include tweaking things like the Armor Core set, which we know they're working on and is a complete fucking mess right now. And obviously his role probably has a lot to do with things like Forge. So that's the big component we're waiting on. And so his role will obviously affect that. So it's not to say that his being here won't really change the you know any, anything that matters too much because all the uh, all the things that desperately need help don't pertain to his role. I'm not trying to say that per se. It's just that I don't know. Like 
my thing with Halo re, or Halo Infinite is it needs more content because I think the shit they're already making is really really good. They just need more content. Um, they also need more environmental variety, but you know whatever. So I don't know. I don't I don't have too much to add to this because I again I'm not painfully familiar with Paul's history and his pedigree and like his specific contributions like you know we know the joseph staten famous uh what is it, seven seconds of fun thing and in his contributions to halo in that regard um but we we don't know this guy as well so that's not to say that he's not just what 343 needs but i just i don't know i wouldn't hang my hat on oh man they brought this one man to the table all of our problems are, are solved, you know? Halo Infinite's big issue from a developmental standpoint seems to stem from the fact that the game never really had a permanent, solid, core development team. It just relied heavily, as we know from the reports, from from uh, contract workers and, and people who just came and went real fast within the matter of a year or two at 343. And if anything, it sounds like that's 343's big hurdle, is finding really, really solid, permanent talent. So yeah, this is great to have one really important guy at the table now, but it's going to take a lot more than just him to turn the whole thing around. So I'm not trying to be negative about the situation. I'm just trying to be like, put it into perspective and be realistic. It, it is always exciting. I, I get it. I get the fans excitement. Like I, I, I too love the idea of some OG bungee people coming back to Halo and leaving their mark on the franchise again. Like that does get me excited. I don't mean, you know, I, I, I often defend the fuck out of 343 and especially of Halo 5 and how I think Halo fans are insufferable babies who really need to appreciate more of what Halo has become. And rather than just wishing for everything to be 2004 again. But listen, I get it. There was a very, very magical and special charm to Bungie's Halo. And getting to know that we have some of that, that fundamental uh, or that core team back at work on the franchise, it does, it, it does feel comforting. And I think like, that's the word, right? Like we don't, most of us don't really know exactly who these people are or what their claim to fame is or what specific mark they left on Halo. But just knowing that like, one of the big guys that contributed to the Halo games we loved growing up is now back on the series. It, it It's a very comforting feeling. It makes you feel like, oh, maybe everything's going to be all right for a little bit, right? I think that, that's kind of the, the bigger news more than anything. But, you know, it's like, like anything. It's like we got we to gotta wait until there's content to really know what, what that means for Halo. But obviously it is nonetheless exciting to see, some, uh, you know, an old face return. I mean, is no one here is wishing for Halo Infinite to fail. We're, we're all in the same boat. You know, it's like, I, I feel like there's only two types of, of, of comments we get, at least on this show about Halo. It's either, listen, man, I know Halo Infinite has some, some work that it needs to get done, but man, I love this game so much. It's such a good game. Or it's like, Hey, I really love Halo Infinite, but I'm hanging it up for a little while until they can figure some shit out. But boy, oh boy, am I excited to come back to it when they when they're at that point. So I get it, man. Like <laughs> that's that, and that's kind of where I am too. It's like that we all want to love Halo. We all love. We all do love Halo. We want to continue to love Halo, and we're just waiting for Halo to continue to get better and and to not disappoint us by glossing over the events of Halo Five. Please, we want to know what happened. All right, guys, let's talk about some some Ubisoft news. Like I said, we're touching on some things from earlier in the show. They come back around the main news segment. We got two. Ubisoft events to talk about. The first one, as relayed by VGC, Ubisoft has confirmed plans to present a Skull and Bones specific gameplay reveal this Thursday, July 7th, which is the day this podcast goes live, so you might have already seen it by the time you're hearing this. The event takes place at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, which is the only time zone that matters. It promises new gameplay, a unique take on piracy, and an exclusive behind-the-scenes with developers. I, I really hope that a unique take on piracy, what that means is, like, the developers are going to teach you how to illegally download this video game. Uh, anyway, it continues on. The presentation will start 
15 minutes earlier than the times listed above with a pre-show full of surprises. So tune in early if you want to see what that's all about. I certainly will not be doing that, but I will be looking forward to seeing what news comes of the event. But maybe more important, because this is a more a, a broader showcase with more to show, Ubisoft also announced, and this is related as of gamesindustry.biz, that their this year's Ubisoft Forward event, their multi-game showcase, their big their big shebang, the thing they normally do around E3 time that they said they were going to push to later in the year, uh, will be taking place on September 10th this year. The new forward-branded stream uh, focuses on the often del- will st- focus on the often delayed Skull and Bones. Uh, the larger Ubisoft Forward event is scheduled at 3 p.m. Eastern time on September 10th, the only time zone that matters. It will be streamed on YouTube, Twitch, and Ubisoft's own website, probably also on Twitter and Facebook, and everywhere else in the world. Ubisoft Forward Spotlight on Skull and Bones stream will arrive this Thursday, as we already mentioned, but this, but aside from Skull and Bones, this specific showcase will focus more on an E3-style showing, which is more in line with what we've seen from Ubisoft over the past few years. Uh, the company ran two Ford events that year in 2020 when they started these Ubisoft Ford rollouts and followed it up with an official E3 Ubisoft Forward during the trading show's digital event in 2021. Now, there's a lot of speculation on what we're going to see at this event. We know, as the rumor suggests, there's a new Assassin's Creed game in development that is probably ready for this year, maybe. And it's kind of a harken back to classic Assassin's Creed. So possibly, you know, something like old Assassin's Creed 2, Assassin's Creed Black Flag kind of era. So you assume that we're going to see that there. You definitely assume we're going to see the Avatar game that they're working on because... Um, Avatar, the new movie, comes out this fall, and I think the game is scheduled for this fall as well. Um, or is it for next year? I forget. But obviously, you you think they're going to want to capitalize on that synergy, that, that marketing moment, and talk about Avatar and show that off more in depth. I also think they're going to talk about maybe X Defiant because, as we mentioned earlier, see, everything's a callback today. Um, as we mentioned earlier, that game is still slated to come out this fall um, with no specific date. So unless they're planning on delaying that heavily, um, that should be a game that we hear from, um, and then probably just dance and some rabid shit and some other DLC and things like that. But I- I'm expecting at least those games will be talked about. Um, hopefully, sw- praying to God, we will not see any NFT monkey bullshit at this showcase. But yeah, that's that. That is my prediction as to what we're looking at here at the Ubisoft Forward event. So we know Skull and Bones is going to be there. We know Skull and Bones is going to be there this week as well. And then we know, or then we we assume probably Assassin's Creed, Avatar, and X Defiant, possibly Prince of Persia as well. Although that game's kind of in in, in purgatory with it being taken over from the India team and, and being brought in house to I forget what team's taking it over. I would have to look that up. So. You know, it's a, I don't know, a lot, a lot of hands here at, at play, but um, that that's my guess. Man, It's here's the last thing I want to throw in there. Do you think there's any chance we see Splinter Cell or Beyond Good and Evil 2? I think Beyond Good and Evil 2 is a definite no because that game is never coming out. I think Splinter Cell, they might want to take a page from uh, EA's playbook and, you know, show a guy talking about Splinter Cell and then have his background picture on his computer be just a fucking wallpaper of Sam Fisher and just be like, yeah, Splinter Cell, baby. So, I don't know. Those are my speculations. Those are my guesses. Oh, isn't there also another Division game being made by a different studio? I forgot about that one. That could probably be there as well. I don't know. Lots lots of things to look for. I'm actually looking forward to this. Ubisoft has been a little soft the past few years, no pun intended. But I feel like this fall is the real opportunity. Everything's kind of lined up where they can kind of come out swinging. So, I am interested to see what they've got 
to talk about. All right, let's talk Grand Theft Auto and Rockstar at large, where VGC is relaying that a new report has claimed Rockstar is fully focused on the development of Grand Theft Auto 6 after shelving a pair of remaster projects. Earlier in the week, Rockstar insiders who accurately leaked information about the company's games in the past claimed remasters of GTA 4 and Red Dead Redemption were on the table a few years ago, but are no longer planned. They also claimed that the poor reception to last year's Grand Theft Auto the Trilogy remaster might have contributed to the decision not to go ahead with these projects. Kotaku has since backed up these claims, citing sources with knowledge of Rockstar's plans. It says that the studio has temporarily at least parked the remaster uh, remasters to fully focus on GTA 6's development. The studio confirmed in February that active development on GTA 6 was well underway at the time, and Kotaku sources claim Rockstar is hoping people will forget about the botched GTA remaster by the time it gets around. It gets rounds to release the next series entry. They also said Red Dead Redemption and GTA 4 remasters aren't completely out of the scope and could be revisited in the future following GTA 6's release. But for now, they're not in the cards. As you may recall, the GTA Trilogy Definitive Edition, whatever, released last November, promising modern remasters of GTA 3, uh, Vice City, and San Andreas. Um, obviously, the, as we all know now, the collection released with a significant number of technical issues. Um, tons of broken files, unlicensed music issues, developer notes being shared and shit throughout. Everything was just a fucking mess. I'll never forget the one where <laughs> the guy drives the car and if he like moves the analog stick left and right as he drives the car, the wheels and the vehicle just grow bigger and bigger and bigger in size. Um, it's a complete fucked project, but honestly, maybe it brought more humor So in the end of the day than it otherwise would have, so maybe it was for the best. But despite the launch issues, data shared this past February by Rockstar owner Take-Two suggested that the remaster has sold 10 million copies already. So fuck it. People don't care about broken shit. People don't care about loot boxes. People don't care about microtransactions. They don't care about content incomplete games. They just want to buy shit and then go on Twitter and complain about shit because that is what an elite gamer does. So personally, I don't... Personally, I like this because I feel like we get too many remakes and remasters anyway. There's some games that need it and there's some games that don't. And I guess this is speaking purely from an Xbox perspective because I know if you're a PlayStation player primarily and there's probably not a lot of people who listen to this podcast who are primarily PlayStation users, then, you know, it sucks to suck. Like, in all seriousness, like, it's not like a dig on PlayStation. Like, I truly feel for PlayStation players that Sony just fucking hates you so much that they refuse to do anything proper with backwards compatibility. So, like, as an Xbox gamer, uh, it, like, it, I feel like so many of these remakes are unnecessary because I can go back and play Red Dead Redemption on my Xbox Series X, no problem. They'll even boost the frame rate and all that bullshit for no reason because Xbox is really good about that stuff. And it's like, yeah, I mean, does Red Dead Redemption look stunning by 2022 standards? Of course not. But does it look fine, play great, and run excellent on my Xbox Series X? Yes. So please allocate your development time to something new because I don't need a remaster all the time. So personally, I don't mind these projects getting shelved. But it seems like it's for the wrong reasons, because you assume that the plans to remaster these games wasn't that Rockstar proper were, were going to do it, that they were going to have... I forget the name of the team that did those remasters. It was the same team that did the mobile ports, if I'm not mistaken. And I know they're actually based out of Florida, so they're local, local talent here. They did a fucking shit job with that port. <laughs> you know, maybe it wasn't all their fault. Maybe that had something to do with Take-Two and some, some other issues. I don't know. <laughs> but my assumption is that they probably would have had an outsourced studio like that, like that. That, uh, work on these remasters and not put proper Rockstar on this project and pull them away from GTA 6. But it's like, listen, man, we need new games. We don't constantly need everything being remade. If it's a game that is 
very difficult to access on modern hardware, I'm all for a remake. If it's a game that is an excellent game for the time and we all love and are nostalgic for, but gameplay-wise, it's a fucking piece of trash like GoldenEye 007. You know, it's like, sure, do a ground-up remake because I know everyone's nostalgic for the N64, but let's let's not kid ourselves. Almost nothing that released on that console is, is playable by today's standards. So, like, I get remakes for that kind of shit, but, like, it's it's gotten pretty egregious, and, I mean, we could have had this conversation three years ago and it would have been just as relevant, but this idea that it's like, ah, everything needs a remake, it's like, dude, it's an Xbox 360 game. Calm the fuck down. It's an HD. It's backwards compatible on my current Xbox. It's a digital title. Like, what What are we doing? Why are we constantly remaking everything? We get it. There's money to be made. It's a low effort, low budget project that yields high profit. I, I get it for the publisher, but like, fuck, man. We just... So to, to hear from that they're shifting focus primarily on GTA 6, I think this is a good thing. I think it would be nice to kind of go dry on GTA for a little while and come back with something all new and big and awesome like GTA 6. Because having so much focus on GTA Online and GTA 5 for so long and then coming out the gate for the first time in like almost a decade with your new game being a remastered trilogy of old games, it's like, uh, uh, all right. But if we can focus on the next brand new from the ground up Grand Theft Auto game, that would be a lot more exciting, I think. And I don't know, maybe maybe we should focus on new and exciting and not always on just bringing old shit back. And there's a difference, right? Because the old Grand Theft Auto games, those weren't all necessarily as accessible those were playstation 2 xbox og games um actually they were accessible digitally because they were all re-released on as like xbox live arcade games at one point so technically they were still accessible but i would argue that that xbox og ps2 era is kind of the cutoff for things that may or may not need remasters it kind of depends on the game but it's really after that where we get into like the territory of like okay you know, once you get to like Xbox 360, where it's like, okay, things are digital, things are in HD, we don't need to fucking remake everything. I get it. Some games have probably benefited from it, but like, I don't know, you look over at like the PlayStation where they're about to re-release The Last of Us for the 400th time because apparently Naughty Dog can't make a new game. They can only just remake the same fucking game over and over again. And I, and I don't say that as a point of criticism for PlayStation. I say that as a point of frustration as a Naughty Dog fan because Naughty Dog are so goddamn good at what they do. And I'm so tired of them just remaking The Last of Us professionally for a decade instead of making a new game. And it's like, I, d I just don't want to see that be the case for more studios. You know, I don't, I don't, like Rockstar is a very talented developer. In fact, I, I think Naughty Dog is kind of the perfect example because I would say between Naughty Dog and Rockstar, you probably have two of the absolute highest tier developers in gaming history, like without a doubt, just amazing, unparalleled, high, as high as it can get kind of levels of production value. So why the fuck would we want to see those teams work on remasters and remakes when they could make new shit? And I don't know. That's where I am with that. But um, I don't know. I, I see this as a good thing. I, I personally don't need to play Grand Theft Auto 4 again, but now slightly prettier with some slightly modern accommodations and you can charge $70 for it. Like, no thanks. We'll just we'll just wait for Grand Theft Auto 6. So. Okay, boy. All right. Yeah, but that 10 million fucking people who bought that broken remaster trilogy. See what? See that? You're, you're part of the problem. All right. Let's uh let's get into our penultimate story, basically our final story, because the next one's a, just a wrap up. But uh, VGC reports that ooh, some controversy here. Xbox Games with Gold will no longer include Xbox 360 titles beginning in October of 2022. That's according to an email Microsoft has started sending out to subscribers, including Stardock General Manager Brad Sams. Brad Sams always gotten that good scoop on Microsoft news. The email reads, "Quote from October 1st, 2022, the monthly games provided on Game Pass Ultimate and Xbox Live Gold members via Games with Gold will no longer include 360 titles. We have reached the limit of our ability to bring Xbox 360 games to the catalog. However, Games with Gold will continue to include Xbox One titles and exclusive savings each month. This will not impact any Xbox 360 games." you've downloaded before October 2022 
Any 360 titles you've redeemed via Games of Gold before that time are yours to keep on your Xbox account, regardless of whether you continue your subscription or not. So this is, uh, maybe I have a little bit of a controversial take on this. So it's no secret, you know, I think even the most obscure, blind Xbox fanboys would even agree to this to an extent, that Xbox Games of Gold is largely a joke. And I get the argument that's like, hey man, a couple whatever free games a month is a cooler perk than no free games a month. I get that. It's a nice perk to have whether whether you like the lineup or not. But Games of Gold is such a shit offering month after month after month with very, very rare little spots of brightness where you get the occasional Gears 5 or something like that, that I think it does more damage in a way than it does good because not only are the game are the games with gold lineup so shit every month, but also Game Pass is so strong that it almost makes games with gold look kind of redundant. Because first of all, if you're gonna be an Xbox Live subscriber but not a Game Pass subscriber, you probably have tiny brain syndrome. So there's just that. So the majority of people should have Game Pass Ultimate if they have Xbox Live Gold. The thing is the offering on Game Pass is so strong that why would you need games of gold? And I understand again the argument that listen a couple of whatever free games every month is better than no free games every month. But I think at some point, Games of Gold has become so irrelevant and so just blah in the laughing stock of kind of the game service accoutrements, you know, of the PlayStation Plus and Xbox Live and Game Pass realm of, of things that it actually potentially poses the ability to do more harm to your brand than good. Because I I, I am confident that if Microsoft came out today and said, yeah, we're, we're, we're just doing away with Games of Gold. It is no longer a benefit. Full stop. We're, we're done. Within a few months, no one would care. No one would talk about it. No one would remember it. It just is what it is. And then the only kind of free games or whatever you could talk about included with any kind of subscription service would be Game Pass. And so there wouldn't be this like blight on Xbox's uh, like record or, or, or services, you know, feature list of like, oh, well, they also have this uh, Games of Gold thing, but it's not very interesting. Don't pay attention to that. It would be, listen, everything that's included on this list of perks and, inc- and inclusions to the subscription are nothing but great features and great benefits to the consumer. And so I, I don't know. I'm kind of of the mindset that they really ought to just do away with Games with Gold altogether and just overall make the product of Game, uh, Game Pass Ultimate in particular. But, you know, it just looks stronger and also kind of give those Xbox Live Gold members kind of the push they need to be like, hey, dumbass, why why do you not have Game Pass? So I don't know. Maybe that's uh, not the thing you a lot of people want to hear. I know it's like, again, free games are free games. Like, hey, if, if you can get them, take them. But I, I just think that Games with Gold kind of does some damage to the brand more than anything just because it's it's just not a – it's never a good look. It's never a good lineup. And um, so I, I, I don't know. I, I applaud <laughs> the decision kind of to get rid of the 360 games. Now, if you want to make Games with Gold a viable option and, and you want to say, okay, so now we can't bring any 360 games over because we kind of run through the catalog of what's available – and now we're just going to focus on two Xbox One games a month instead of four games with two being 360 and two being Xbox One. That's fine, but why don't you use this as an opportunity, you know, a little extra money to invest into games of gold since you only have two games instead of four now. Why don't you use this as an opportunity to try and get some better games into games of gold? Because here's a less controversial take. I'm sure everyone can agree on this. If they can say, okay, now you're not getting two Xbox 360 games every month, but you're still getting two Xbox One games, but... We're going to go above and beyond to make sure those two Xbox One games are pretty consistently of a very high quality, like of a, of a, a valuable title that a lot of gamers will be interested in. Because if you can bring that up to the part where it's like every month, yeah, we're only getting two games instead of four, but they're games people give a shit about, 
I think everyone can agree that we'd be like, yeah, we're okay with losing 360 games. We're okay with losing the four games a month and going down to two because quality over quantity. So that's that's maybe the the better way to look at it or to hope for things to go. But I don't think things are going to change. I think what we're going to do is, or what we're going to see is Games with Gold continues. It's just two Xbox One games instead of four games total. And it continues to be that who gives a shit about this game kind of lineup as we consistently see. But maybe I'm wrong. We'll see starting around October, November when uh, Xbox 360 titles get dropped from Games of Gold. But personally, this this doesn't bug me all that much. Um, although I know a lot of you guys might have some different takes because, again, you know, hey, features are features, benefits are benefits, value is value. You know, if you're going to give free shit, it's better than not giving anything at all. And a lot of people will take and hold on to what they can get rather than be picky and choosy and be like, you know what, I'll just leave this on the table if it's not something I want. So I, I get that take as well. But uh, there, I'm trying to appease everyone so that I cannot be a controversial figure. All right, guys, and that's it for all of our news. Let's just do a wrap up real quick before we get into the small news. Xbox Wire relays our latest offerings for Game Pass. Speaking of the, the service that we we all know and love so starting this week you may have already seen it because they're already there last call bbs on pc available day one with game pass on pc yakuza 0 yakuza, yakuza kiwami and kiwami 2 are all back on game pass via cloud console and pc they were all on the service at one point left i think earlier this year and now are all back so available now you got all those titles and then the day that this podcast goes live DJ Max uh, Respect v- 5 or Respect V comes to Cloud Console and PC. Match uh, Matchpoint Tennis Championship comes to Cloud Console and PC. And Road 96 comes to Cloud Console and PC. Um, so those will be available the day that this show goes live. And then on July 14th, we got a handful more games. We got Escape Academy on console and PC. My Friend Peppa Pig on Cloud Console and PC. Hell yeah. Overwhelm uh, on PC. Paw Patrol, the movie Adventure City Calls, Cloud Console and PC. I'm going to have to check that out. And Power Wash Simulator on Cloud Console and PC. All coming on July 14th. That last one there. Available day one with Game Pass. But it's not always all good and in, in, in happy rainbows and butterflies because we do lose a few games. So on July 15th, the following five titles will be leaving Game Pass. So download them now. Play them now while you can if you want to. But Atomic Cor- Corpse is leaving Cloud Console and PC. Carry On is leaving Cloud Console and PC. I always meant to try a game, never got around to it. Children of Morta is leaving Cloud Console and PC. Chris Tales is leaving Cloud Console and PC. And Lethal League Blaze is leaving Cloud Console and PC. Guys, let's pour one out for the titles leaving Game Pass, as they will be sorely missed. All right, that's enough of that. And with that said, that is it for all of our major news topics of the week. And now we start to wind things down by going through the important enough news. These are the stories important enough to make the podcast each week, but not important enough to warrant their own discussion, of which we have, you know, we have eight. So we got a little a little chunky bit to get through here, guys. So let's uh, let's start rattling them off. First up, VGC show, uh, reports that 2K Games have announced a basket, the basketball legend Michael Jordan will grace the cover of two NBA 2K23 special editions. Jordan will be the cover star of NBA 2K23 Jordan Edition and the limited edition 2K23 Championship Edition. The 14-time NBA All-Star Jordan previously appeared on the cover of NBA 2K11, NBA 2K12, and the NBA 2K16 Special Edition because Michael Jordan, big name, big name in basketball. The publisher also confirmed that NBA 2K23's release date is September 9th this year, so look forward to that if you're one of the many, many people who play that game each and every year. Next up, VGC reports, the writer behind the modern Deus Ex game will helm the narrative uh, for the next Mass Effect title. It's been confirmed. Following VGC's report earlier in the week, veteran narrative director Mary DeMarley, Mary DeMarley, I hope that's an Italian name, has joined Bioware, 
Mass Effect 4's director, Michael Gamble, confirmed on Monday, and she will be working on EA's own big sci-fi series. The shift will likely be welcomed from fans of Mass Effect, considering Damarly celebrated work on not just modern Deus Ex games, but also last year's Guardians of the Galaxy, for which she won a game award for Best Narrative. That game did have a really good story, so that is exciting. That is promising. Uh, Damarly's departure from Eidos Montreal followed Gearbox owner Embracer's announcement in May to acquire Crystal Dynamics, Eidos Montreal, Square Enix Montreal, and a catalog of custom IPs, including Tomb Raider, Deus Ex, Thief, and Legacy of Kane for $300 million. So that is kind of noteworthy that, you know, some talent is probably leaving these studios as a result of this acquisition. But uh, hey, that's that's actually a huge get for Mass Effect and some pretty promising news. But yet again, it's like, oh, cool. They're just now getting a narrative direct- director 45 years into the game's development. Okay, you guys want to take a bet on how long she lasts? Because it seems like every time we get news on Mass Effect, it's one of the three following things. It's either one, so-and-so has come back to work on Mass Effect. Two, so-and-so who just came back to work on Mass Effect has just left again. Or three, Bioware or EA want to brag about how Mass Effect is still coming even though they have literally nothing to show for it. So... There's one of the three right there. All right, next up, Windows Central reports that Azure Striker Gunvolt, the side-scrolling action game series developed by publisher Inti Creates, has been announced this week to be coming to Xbox for the first time in 2022. Striker Gunvolt 1, 2, and the upcoming third game that is being developed right now will all hit the console. Uh, No date's been given, but these titles will be released in the West. In the West. I've played one of those on 3DS, I'm pretty sure. Uh, VGC reports that a remake of the cult action game Lollipop Chainsaw has been announced by its one of its former publishers. Yoshimi Yasuda, the previous previously CEO of Kadokawa Games, which published Grasshopper manufacturer titles Lollipop Chainsaw and The Killer is Dead in Japan. He also executive produced both titles. In May, he announced that Yasuda would be leaving Kadokawa and would be establishing a new company called Dragami Games. And now Yasuda has confirmed that Lollipop Chainsaw Remake is one of the company's first projects. In a statement posted on Twitter, Yasuda said, unfortunately, various factors are resulting in things making it so that fans can no longer easily play Lollipop Chainsaw. And it has been Sometimes since players have not been able to access the game on current consoles. I guess that's the reason for wanting to remake it. So that's a that's that's a weird deep cut. See, like that's an example of like a 360 era game where I'm like, okay, you can remake that because like who has access to it? It's not backwards compatible to my knowledge. Kind of an obscure title. It's it's you know, it's kind of out there, so it's like, okay, we can do that one, right? Fucking Red Dead Redemption runs at like 60 FPS on Series X. Get out of here. Next up, VGC reports French publisher Nacon will be hosting a presentation this week designed to show off its upcoming titles. The presentation actually takes place the day this podcast goes live, July 7th, at 1 p.m. Eastern time, the only time zone that matters. The show will stream Nacon's YouTube Twitch channels and promise to show the first footage of Test Drive Unlimited Solar Crown. According to Nacon, a total of 17 games will be shown during the presentation and we expect to see Lord of the Rings Gollum at the showcase, so probably have more to say on that next week. Next up, VGC reports the critically acclaimed What Remains of Edith Finch has been rated for Series X and S. While not officially announced on additional platforms, the game has been classified as a new-gen console by Taiwanese rating boards via Twisted Voxel. If the game is to be coming to Xbox Series X and S, it could be confirmed by its publisher, Annapurna Interactive, when they host a showcase on July 28th for which has teased reveals, announcements, and much more. So I'll have more to say on that probably shortly as well. And next up, an official Xbox, this is from VGC, an official Xbox live stream may have accidentally confirmed that She-Hulk is coming to Marvel's Avengers. During the live stream of an official Xbox Twitch channel, guest host Technique was playing the game of Avengers with new designer Brian Wagner, who took over the role in January to show off the additional the addition of Jane Foster, the Mighty Thor, and the game's latest update. At one point, Technique seemingly claimed that he knew that the person who was going to be performing the voice for She-Hulk in the game, which led to Wagner looking worried 
You want a funny fact about She-Hulk technique asked? I don't know if I can say this, uh, but I'm just saying he laughed. I don't think the face Brian is making, maybe I shouldn't say it. And he went on and on, basically spilling the beans on accident in the middle of a live stream. So that's funny, but we basically know She-Hulk is coming to Marvel's Avengers. Please, for the love of God, make it stop. And then finally, VGC reports that Ubisoft have announced a new Division game for mobile. The Division, the, the Division Resurgence is a free-to-play third-person shooter RPG which the publisher says will let players freely roam an open world in New York. It'll be playable solo or cooperatively and promise a range of PvE activities, including story missions and world activities. Ubisoft is also planning a release for the Division Heartland during its current fiscal year ending in March 2023. That's the game. Division Heartland. That's the one I was talking about. So we'll probably see that on September 10th as well at the uh, Ubisoft Showcase. And uh, I guess we're getting some kind of mobile. We're getting some kind of mobile Division title, but whatever. Who cares? It'll be good for people who care. All right, guys. That is going to do it for all of our news this week. Now we go from winding down to really winding down because we are going to talk about the comments. We're just going to chill out, hang out for a little bit. we got six comments here from the audience go through guys picking it up a little bit with the comments i need more okay i need more comments i need more more of your nonsensical bullshit i need you guys to say all the ridiculous things you're not supposed to say on tv in the comment section and then we'll talk about it next week but if you want to leave a comment you go over to youtube.com slash xbox on podcast click on the latest episode and drop a comment you can say something nice like jesse i i uh i hope you're having a great week sorry to hear that the halo tv show did not live up to the expectations you had but nonetheless i want to say that we are mature enough adults that we can separate the TV show from the video game and allow one to exist separate from the other without getting all salty and taking out on Bonnie Ross and bullying people we don't know on Twitter because that's what adults do. And I'll be like, thank you for the kind comments and the voice of reason. Thank you for writing in. But you can also be a total dickhead. You can write in and say, Jesse, very disheartened to hear that COVID hasn't completely wiped you of this earth yet. Um, I, I expect that by next week you will be no more and that Taco Bell in your honor, we'll bring back all your favorite items that have been discontinued to celebrate the fact that you can't have them. And I'll be like, that's fucked up, dude. That's some seriously fucked up shit to say. It's also a little bit funny, so I'll read it on the comments because why not? But no one wrote in like that. So our first comment actually comes from Magic Badger, who writes in and says, what is more supreme, Taco Bell's Crunchwrap Supreme or the Supreme Court? Uh, I will leave that to the audience. To decide. Which one reigns supreme in my heart? I think that's easily Taco Bell. Uh, <laughs> but uh yeah the uh, pulls on collar and sweats nervously we'll let the uh audience deal with that one all right next up borderlands let's talk about it Cronky writes in and says i've been working my way through the borderlands games and i love discovering something weird oh and i had discovered something weird at some point i was jumping over cover and shooting enemies with shotguns and pistols and smgs and jumping and throwing grenades and then i realized it kind of made me feel like i was playing halo 2 and 3 i think those games kind of scratch the same itch for me you should try playing them start with wonderlands though because it is perfect tiny tina's wonderland i've heard very good things about Tiny Tina's Wonderland. Everyone says, from a gameplay perspective, it is the superior Borderlands title. Now, I do gotta say, there's always been something about Borderlands where I feel like people always say, Destiny feels like Borderlands, Borderlands feels like Halo. There's some weird DNA shared, apparently, between Borderlands and Bungie gameplay approach, I guess, maybe. Listen, the only experience I have with Borderlands is, like, maybe two years ago, I downloaded Borderlands 2. I played 35 minutes of it. And then I uninstalled it and I was like, this is not bad. I just am not in the mood for it. And then I moved on with my life. I have no intention of ever getting around to Borderlands, but I am mildly enthused by Tiny Tina's Wonderland just because the game, in my opinion, seemed like a really not cool spinoff title. And then the reception immediately was like, hey, this game is actually pretty awesome. And after watching some of the gameplay, I'm like, okay, this looks more like my speed than regular Borderlands. So maybe one day, but I gotta be honest. I'm glad you found a little bit of a Halo connection to your Borderlands gameplay experience, but for me, 
I'm going to stick with Sonic Origins because I'm like that. I'm closed-minded, I'm old school, and I have a tiny brain. Now, Mr. Malg writes in and says, Jesse, I need Tony Hawk's American Wheel... Jesse, I need Tony Hawk's American Wasteland remastered. To which I say, yes, please. Now, let's talk about our backlogs. Headhunting Halo writes in and says, Jesse, been hitting my backlog again, and I choose to start Dying Light 2. And I must say, it is fun a lot to do a weapon. Crafting is fun. After this, I hope I can start Far Cry 6 again. Not very far. But this Wednesday, I will be at Gulf Shores for a week, so no Xbox. Sad face. As Toby McGuire would say, I missed the part where that's my problem. Have a happy fourth. Headhunting Halo. God bless you. I love that you incorporated a Bully McGuire meme into your comment. Aside from the fact that I don't understand half of what your comment's saying, but I, God damn, I love you. And uh, don't don't worry, no rush to get around to Far Cry Six because whatever you do get around to starting it, Ubisoft will fucking cyber bully the hell out of your email inbox for months at a time. So the less you have that, the better for your your own mental health. <laughs> I missed the part where that's my problem. But headhunting Halo, I'm, I'm going to put some dirt in your eyes. And uh, happy fourth to you as well. Now, let's talk Diablo, Pizza, and Final Fantasy. I just threw these three comments together. I don't know what order best serves them, but let's just let's just get into it. Sam Torres writes in and says, We need to stop begging Square Enix for Final Fantasy. Our Xbox gamer tiers, which they collect and process into the party beverage slurry, are, under, are, are unrewarded. Microsoft needs to force some part of Activision to become a JRPG maker of the West. Great title for the podcast, Less Crunch, More Booty. Took our family trip to Georgia about two weeks ago. Loved it. Kids wanted to see Stranger Things family locations. Wife wanted to see the aquarium. I wanted to ride roller coasters with cobwebs and rusty bolts and see if heat stroke was achievable in the shade. Went to a cool Okonomiyaki bar. Okay, something. And we really enjoyed it. Kroger is dimmer, but wallet friendly. <laughs> Never be ashamed of your Chuck E. Cheese admiration. I was waiting for a huge resurgence and respect for our mouse man, Charles. His multi-level Mall of America audio animatronic characters doing Calypso music. Sky tube filled eating pl- palace is the stuff of my dreams. Hashtag one less Dave and Busters. Sam Torres, if you are ever available, I, I need, if you are ever available and I am ever of the financial situation to justify doing so, we, 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 need, we need to get you as the official Xbox on the news writer because you have such a way with words and I enjoy reading your shit so much. So thank you for writing in. I just love how it's like none of this makes sense together, but it somehow it strings together so well. I, first of all, I don't know how serious you were about the Square Enix part. I disagree completely. I think we need to continue to beg Square Enix for Final Fantasy on Xbox because <laughs> because we want Square Enix to, make, to put their content on Xbox so that we can prove to them that Xbox gamers want Japanese games. We, we need to fix this problem once and for all. I feel like we're at this weird turning point where Japanese developers are starting to notice Xbox a little bit. Xbox is starting to reach out to Japanese developers a whole lot. Time for the audience to put their money where their mouth is and be like, yo, we got to support these games so that we can get more of these animated titties all over our Xbox consoles. And that's that's what I'm here to help achieve. Uh, hope you guys enjoyed your trip to Georgia. Sounds like you went to Six Flags over Georgia by the uh, comments here about cobweb infested roller coasters. So that would be my old stomping grounds before I lived here in Florida. Six Flags over Georgia, my local theme park. God, I've been there so many fucking times. That was my, I'm homesick for Disney World. I guess I'll go to Six Flags thing. And uh, you know what the, weir- the, the weir- worst thing about being human is? Y- you spend your entire fucking life dreaming of when you can finally leave Georgia and move to Florida so you can live next to Six Flags or so you can live next to Disney World and thinking, wow, I just have to use Six Flags in the meantime because it's the closest thing we have to a theme park here. And then you finally, finally achieve your dream of moving to Orlando, Florida, you get out of college, you get all that shit under your belt, you move out, you make a life for yourself in Florida. And even though you love it and it is what you wanted and it is great because humans are insufferable and impossible to please, you find yourself 
feeling nostalgic and missing the old days of when you lived in Georgia and your only local theme park was Six Flags Over Georgia and you just had to make do with what you got. I don't know what it is, but I have so, especially for those last few years where I was really going to Six Flags Over Georgia like constantly just because I was like, ah, we're like T-minus two years away from moving to Florida. Like, I don't know. And I was just, I, I found myself at Six Flags like almost every week during its operating season. And uh, it's weird. I, I miss it so much now. I haven't been to that park in three years. And uh, I, I really, really want to get back there. So hope you guys had a good time. And also, thank you for rationalizing my unnatural uh, enthusiasm for Chuck E. Cheese. Oh, plus side of having COVID, I finally have an excuse to use that Kroger online ordering delivery shit. So even though we don't have Kroger here in, Georgia, in Florida, you can order from Kroger like your groceries online and they'll deliver them to you because they have warehouses here. And so I can get the Chuck E. Cheese frozen pizza delivered to me here. And since I have COVID, that's the perfect excuse because I can't fucking leave the house and go to the grocery store. So th- hashtag thank you, Jesus. Hashtag one last Dave and Busters. Hashtag away with Genie Plus. All right. Way of the Lao writes in and says, Georgia, well, I do declare, Mr. DeRosa, I would like the lo- the lowdown on all the good food you ate in a place that I'm sure was magical. Also, might I suggest you pick up the Elgato HDS Plus because there are great deals on it at the moment and it makes streaming from console much easier. I have an Elgato HD, not the HDS Plus. I have an older model, but it broke. But thanks for the heads up. I, I know that you are thinking, will this take away from my extravagant pizza and theme park fund? I think that's a question we all ask ourselves at one point in our lives. And it's a question you'll have to answer for yourself. Take care. Best wishes to the family. Cronky, I hope your new job is treating you well. Way of Lao, always being an outstanding citizen. God bless you. Hope you're having a great week. And I got to say, while I was in Georgia, I didn't really have any food that was exceptional. I have one one experience to speak of. Because when I, when I go to Georgia, I always intentionally limit, like greatly limit the amount of time I'm there. Because I get physically, I get I get like intensely depressed being back in Georgia, so I always had to keep my visits short and sweet. So it's very family focused. It's very like, you know, go to dad's house, visit with mom, visit with my brother, visit with see my nieces and nephews, like all those things. It's like boom, 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 hitting the houses, right? So it's a lot of like, uh, we ordered pizza to the house, or like, ah, uh, you know, we made something here. So. I don't get to do too much of the like time by myself or exploring the old places I miss. I think I would probably enjoy my visits to Georgia a little more if I could do more of the um, like going back to the places downtown I miss or, you know, going going back to my old stomping grounds around where I went to school or maybe like going back to my favorite restaurants. But I don't really get to do a whole lot of that. So not a whole lot of uh, good food-related stories. However, I will say, at one point, my girlfriend and I met up with her sisters, and we were going to take them to Pepperoni's Tavern, which is my favorite pizza restaurant back home in Georgia. But we ended up, last minute, stopping at a new restaurant called... It's like the... What is it called? It's literally the worst fucking name for a restaurant ever, uh, called Food Terminal. It is a... um, It was like a a Malaysian... Yeah, it was like a a Malaysian uh, restaurant called Food Terminal. Terrible, terrible fucking name for a restaurant, but we went there because um, when I lived there, that that store used to be a Fuddruckers, one of those burger chain places, and they have since closed and transformed to this. And my my girlfriend's sister was like, "Oh yeah, we've been there. That place is really good. We should we should check that out." I was like, "Fuck it, we're not eating pizza. We're going to Food Terminal." And I'm actually really glad we did because it was fantastic. We had like uh, like um, a coconut chicken curry noodle bowl, and a uh, they had like a bulgogi bun that I had that was really good. Uh, they had like like Thai tea made in-house, not like the powder extract kind you get and like shopping malls. And 
was really good. Everything we had there was excellent. And I was like, damn, this is really close to where I grew up. I wish, sure wish we had this restaurant when I was younger, you know? But yeah, that, that was about it in terms of good dining. Otherwise, it was a lot of like grocery shopping, order pizza, that kind of thing. So not much to say in that regard, but thank you for writing in. Way Lao. Hope you're doing well. HDS6 or HDS Plus, maybe I'll have to look into it. I don't know. I'm enjoying streaming from my PC. It's really it's really convenient, you know? And our last comment of the week goes to none other than Mojo, Jojo, Pojo, Rojo, who writes in and says, this is a long comment, bear with me. Jesse, we got a bunch of non-Diablo lovers in the podcast nowadays. I realize this is a console podcast, but here's a couple factoids for your salty asses. Diablo 3 is the fastest selling PC game of all time with 3.5 million copies sold in the first 24 hours of sale. That's really good. Secondly, Diablo is the longest supported online game ever. So put that up your pipes and smoke it. Though it'll have taken Blizzard 10 to 11 years to put Diablo 4, put out Diablo 4. But hey, who's complaining? The last time I went to Chuck E. Cheese, my kid's friend had a birthday party. I forgot about this. This is really good. <laughs> my, my friend's kid had a, uh, had a birthday party. We got a large cheese pizza, had a few slices, and then went to play some games. We came back 15 minutes later and there were two kids probably five or six years of age chowing down on our pizzas i yelled hey that's our pizza they looked at me and grabbed the last two slices and ran out the front door of Chuck E. cheeses into a waiting car that pulled away i'm assuming the parents just went like yo go inside and eat lunch because i'm a piece of shit who can't afford to feed my own kids but whatever and if anybody hasn't downloaded shredder's revenge yet do yourself a favor you will not regret it peace you salty ex boners mojo <laughs> such a good comment so no i listen i don't mean to d- despair on diablo i think the problem is not necessarily diablo there's just so much lack of confidence in blizzard these days that blizzard has justifiably earned for themselves and that's where the problem lies i don't think anyone here hates diablo or doesn't want diablo to be good it's it's not that it's just that blizzard fucking sucks so it's it's i think blizzard's in a position where they have to prove they have to prove us wrong they have to put out a fantastic game and show that they're still capable of doing the right thing because just the sheer fact that overwatch even exists is a massive sin that God will certainly punish all the developers and especially art designers and art artists um, and character designers. Oh my God. God will certainly punish them all for their sins. The fact that that exists right there is, is problem number one. They're terrible at communication. We know about all their cultural issues in the studio and Diablo Immortal was a shit show for a lot of people. So I think people are justifiably so tempering their expectations and a little dubious and skeptical of Blizzard's you know, ability to pull this off. If Blizzard can pull this off and prove us all wrong, that's great. I think people want to like Diablo 4. People, I think people want Blizzard to go back to their glory days, but they got to they gotta earn that. You know, you're not just guaranteed that because back in the day you used to be really good at making games. I, you know, it's something you have to consistently keep. Like, like we are just talking about Naughty Dog. Naughty Dog's a great developer. Crash games were great for the time. You know, Jack and Daxter's a really fun PlayStation 2 series. Uncharted was an excellent PS3 series. And The Last of Us was phenomenal. But you can argue Naughty Dog doesn't really even count as a fucking team anymore because for the past 10 years, all they've been able to do is remake one fucking game over and over and over again for hardware that is just slightly more powerful than the hardware that came before it. And so at some point it's like, okay, well, we liked Jack and Daxter. We liked, we liked Uncharted, but you know, after so many years, we got to wonder, are you even capable of making that game anymore? Because you just make one fucking title over and over and over again. And so that's the thing with Blizzard. It's like you just make mistake after mistake after mistake. We know the old Warcraft games, Starcraft, you know, the old Diablo games. These were excellent games. But that was a decade plus ago. Like all you do now is make anime titty porn fodder and sexually harass your women and try to 
put out predatory mobile games. Like, I don't know, like you expect people to have, be on their side. So I'm actually personally, I, that that's really more than anything, me just trying to defend the criticism of Diablo 4. On a personal level, I'm, I think I'm actually a little more optimistic about Diablo 4. I'm fairly certain that it's going to be a good game and I will, I'll definitely give it a try. But I, I do want to just defend the criticism because I do think it is warranted. But as for your Chuck E. Cheese, <laughs> as for your Chuck E. Cheese um, <laughs> fable, I'll, I'll put it. What an excellent story. I, I do have to say, somewhat shame on you because you should know that if you're going to go to Chuck E. Cheese, you play games while you wait for your pizza. Then when your pizza arrives, you sit there and eat the entirety of your pizza and then you go back and play games. Because not even because someone might steal your food, but more importantly, you don't want to leave your food on your table unattended, just out in the open for anyone to spit on it or just walk by. I don't know. People are so gross, dude. Have these past few years not taught you anything? People are fucking disgusting. People love coughing and sneezing and not covering their mouths and shit. Like, you don't want to just leave your pizza on a table unattended and go play whack-a-mole just to come back and think, oh, this pizza is safe to eat, but it's got, you know, snot all over it or some shit like that. You know, it's, it's gross. So... A little bit, you know, the problem is you for leaving extra pizza on the table. But, but yeah, that's <laughs> a good story. I will definitely, that's, that's a story I'll probably use at weddings. So, uh, thanks for writing in, Mojo. And thank you for all of you guys for writing in. Uh, that's going to do it for this week's episode of Xbox On. I got to get this thing edited up because I, uh, I feel like shit. I need to take some more Tylenol. But thank you. Uh, actually, doing the shows helped me to feel a little better. And, uh, I, as always, I'm excited to y'all's feedback and comments because that's what makes the show fun for me. So if you want to follow along, if you want to keep up with me outside the podcast, you can follow me on Twitter at Jesse DeRosa. We do Twitch streams every Monday night, twitch.tv slash lightning extreme. Always hanging out, being goofy asses. I, Really should get back to YouTube. I mean, I have to self-quarantine for five days, so what excuse do I not have to maybe work on a new YouTube video? Huh. But, um, yeah, in the meantime, Twitter, Instagram, Twitch, and then, of course, the podcast. Leave a five-star review on Spotify, iTunes in particular, anything you got. And if you're British, please, I know British people like to get extra offended. Please, I know we kicked your asses in multiple wars. I'm not mad at you. You don't want to be mad at me. It's all good. We get it. You guys eat baked beans and toast for breakfast. It's very disappointing, but you don't got to take it out on us, okay? So calm down. Just calm the fuck down. Pull your umbrella because it's probably raining where you're at. Try to have a good day. Stay inside. Play some Diablo 3 while you anticipate Diablo 4. And until next week, guys, take care. Be safe. Have a good day and power your dreams. Peace.